Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week we continue our Hot Topics series with a message titled, Are All Religions the Same? We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. Hello, welcome to the Crossing Church. Would you keep that applause going as we welcome our South Shore campus with Pastor Hector Rivera, our Plant City campus with Pastor Michael Pippen, and everyone watching online. We're so glad you joined us this weekend. And again, what an awesome crowd here at our Tampa campus. We're so glad you're here. Well, Pastor Greg will be back next week, and he's going to be preparing us for our Night of Prophecy coming up at first Wednesday in August. So I encourage you to come back next week as we prepare for that. It's the prophetic presbytery, if you want to use the fancy word for it. But would you tell our Pastor Greg and Pastor Tamara how much you appreciate them? We love you. We'll get to see you next weekend, and thank you for this opportunity. We'll have the privilege of continuing our, our Hot Topics series, and I'll tell you what our topic is in a moment, but we actually are just now in the midst of the Tokyo Olympics. The Olympics have just started. You know, as much as I make fun of sports ball and all that stuff, I love the Olympics. I don't know what it is, just something about seeing all these countries come together and incredible feats of athleticism. I almost get emotional seeing some of these athletes perform. And during the opening ceremonies, again, there's always something incredible to see. And during the Olympic opening ceremony just a couple days ago, during the climax, there was 1,800 drones that flew in the sky in formation, and they actually formed a 3D globe in the sky. It's incredible. It was an amazing sight, and then a song began to play. The song that began to play was by the artist John Lennon, and it was performed by John Legend, Keith Urban, and other artists. And the song is called Imagine. Some of you may know the song. It's actually been used to inspire the world in many Olympics. The song Imagine played in London in 2012, Pyeongchang in 2018, Torino, and even in Atlanta, Georgia in 1996. Keith Urban, one of the artists who performed this year in the recording, he said this of the song. It's sort of like a spiritual classic. It's almost more of a hymn than a song. I'd like to read a few lyrics from the song and keep in mind what Keith Urban just said. Imagine, there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. I'm not sure what kind of hymns Keith Urban grew up singing, but mine were not like that in church growing up. You know, it's interesting. The world today and culture, they want you to go one of two directions. You can either claim that no religion is true, or you have to claim that all religions are equally valid, but if you go anywhere in the middle, you're in trouble. Either all religion is wrong or all religions are okay. And so as our hot topic for today, the question I hope to answer is this. If you're taking notes, here's the title of the message. Do all religions lead to God? Do all religions lead to God? Maybe you've heard it said, all religions are the same, or all religions lead to heaven, or everyone basically worships the same God. You know, after the tragic attacks on 9-11, a prayer service was held in Yankee Stadium. Clerics from various religions offered prayers to the God of Abraham, the God of Muhammad, and the Father of Jesus Christ. And during that same service, Oprah Winfrey got up and spoke, and she said, all people pray to basically the same God. Even influential musicians and artists on social media push the same idea. 
If you don't know him, his name is Michael Gunger. Michael Gunger was a Christian worship leader. His father was a pastor. And Michael Gunger actually tweeted this just this past Friday. He said, Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ. We are the body of Christ. What a blend. So the question I hope to answer today, do all religions lead to God? No. Any questions? <laughs> but if you would allow me just a few minutes, let me show my work for that answer. But let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We believe your presence is here and has always been with us. God, I pray that you begin to speak to the hearts and minds of those who are truly seeking, and I pray you strengthen the faith of those who know you as our Savior. And we pray that, I pray that you speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you do some research on the internet, you will find that there's approximately 4,000 religions in the world today. If you include every remote people group and every tribe across the world, there's about 4,000. We'll get through just about half of them today. Some of you just got scared. Some of you literally like, I'm out right now. But let me show you the top three. We're going to focus on the top three besides Christianity. But here is actually the breakdown of major religions in the world today. This is in billions. Christianity is still the most followed religion across the globe. 2.6 billion people follow or call themselves Christians. There's 7.8 billion people in the world today. So it's about a third of people. Second largest followed religion is Islam at 1.9 billion people. Hinduism at 1.7 billion and then the fourth category is actually not a religion, it's non-religious. Atheists, agnostics, people who claim to be non-theistic or don't believe in a God, they're actually the fourth largest group in the world. We're not going to talk about that group today, but don't worry, I'll get you next time. <laughs> Just kidding. And then the smallest group is Buddhism of these five at 500 million people in the world today. So those major three religions, aside from Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism, are they the same? Are they basically the same God? And that's what I hope to answer. But I think one of the most troubling statistics that I found as I researched, this is from the Pew Research Center, it says 52% of Christians, 52% of Christians believe that other religions can lead to God. That's more than half of professing Christians believe that other religions can lead to God. And I want to challenge you today, if you hold to that, I don't know if you're really a historic Christian, because Jesus makes it very clear there is one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. But a couple terms that have been mixed up in today's culture. The first one is tolerance. We hear a lot about tolerance today, meaning we need to be tolerant of other beliefs and worldviews and religions. And I agree, we should be tolerant. But being tolerant means that you don't have to argue with everyone who believes differently. Tolerance does not mean that everyone is true. Every religion is true. Tolerance means we should have civil discussions about our beliefs, that we should engage in conversation Tolerance does not mean you have to believe every religion is valid. Because of this, every major religion 
Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism claim exclusivity. Exclusivity means there are doctrines and tenets of each religion that are incompatible with the other religions. If you look at the core doctrines of Christianity, they are different and contradictory to Islam. And Islam is contradictory to Hinduism, so on and so forth. They are not the same. And I want to give you one philosophical tool so you can go home and say, I'm a junior philosopher now. This is called the law of non-contradiction. This is something that philosophers use to say two things that are opposingly, making opposing claims can't be true at the same time. Now, this does not apply to moms. If you're a mom, sometimes you've got to tell your kid one thing and the next second tell them something completely different. That's okay. It only does not apply to moms. That's a joke. It really applies to moms too. But anyway, this is a red pen. Now, if I say this pen is red and you say this pen is blue, one of us is crazy. But the law of non-contradiction states it can't be both. This pen cannot be red and cannot be blue at the same time. We might both be wrong, but we can't both be right. If we make a claim like that, only one of them can be true. The law of non-contradiction. It's like when my wife says the light was red as I drove through the intersection, but I say it was more orange. Spoiler, my wife was right because what I got in the mail proved her correct. So let's set a baseline. What are the claims of Christianity? What does the Bible and Scripture actually say about the claims of Jesus Christ? And so if you call yourself a Christian, these are the core doctrines of your belief system. Christianity states this, God himself came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. That is a core doctrine. Salvation is not obtained by the works you do in this life. Salvation is a free gift to anyone who receives it. And Jesus is the only religious figure to claim divinity. What do I mean by that? Jesus was the only religious figure. You take Muhammad, you take, you take the Buddha. Jesus was the only one to say, I am God. The only one. And does the Bible make Christianity exclusive? Here's John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive. But if that's not clear, let's try another. Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. And over and over again, those are just two examples, but the Bible makes it clear Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That is an exclusive claim. And it immediately makes Christianity incompatible with the other belief systems. But did Jesus claim to be God? This is something that's contested many times. Did Jesus say he was really God? Well, let's see. John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus says, the Father and I are one. If you have a Jehovah's Witness show up to your door, just read this verse. You can have a good conversation. <laughs> Matthew chapter 26 Verses 63 and 64, Jesus Christ is in front of the religious leaders before he is being to be crucified. And it says this, Jesus kept silent. And then the high priest said to Jesus, by the living God, I place you under oath. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. 
But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. Again, Jesus claiming to be God. You can clap for that. We have that to look forward to. Amen. So over and over again, Jesus says that he and the Father are one, and he claims to be God. In Mark chapter 11, verse 2 and 3, I won't read the whole thing, but during the triumphal entry, he says the Lord needs a donkey to enter. He's referring to himself as the Lord. Not only that, but Jesus claims he has the power to forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus says this, Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus himself forgiving the sins of a man. That is a claim to divinity, of being God. And Jesus claims to be the judge over people's eternal destiny. Luke chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus says, I say to you, to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Jesus is saying, if you recognize me, Jesus Christ, you will go to heaven. So Jesus claims to forgive sins. He claims to be God. And if we to summarize it in one line, Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus was God made flesh, and only he can forgive sins, and he is the eternal judge. Those are the core. Yeah, come on. We can plug it for that. Amen. Those are the core doctrines, the beliefs of Christianity. And if that's what makes Christianity what it is, now we have to compare that to those other three religions and see, do they contradict each other? But to lighten the mood, I thought I would get a couple jokes for each religion. So I just have two for Christianity. We could, we could have fun in church. It's all right. So what did Jonah's family say when he told them about what happened before reaching Nineveh? Hmm, sounds fishy. It's a dad joke. It's okay. I know, I know. But I'll give you one more anyway. What do you call a Bible character who just pulled into church? A parking lot. Wow. <laughs> okay, so let's compare Christianity then to Islam, the second largest religion in the globe. What does Islam claim as their belief, their core doctrines? Islam was founded by a man, Muhammad, they claim as a prophet. They say there's no God but Allah, and we'll go to see if that's actually the same God. Their holy scripture is known as the Quran. They recognize Jesus existed, but they claim he was only a prophet, that he was not God in the flesh. An important distinction here, Islam has salvation through works, not grace. Very important distinction. One of the five pillars of faith for every Muslim is to recite the Shahada, and it goes like this. There is no deity but Allah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Again, contradictory. Islam says Muhammad is the messenger of God. We say Jesus Christ was God made flesh. Two contradictory statements. Not only that, but the Quran states this. This is Jesus speaking in the Quran. Jesus says, truly I am a servant of God. He has given me the book and made me a prophet. And so immediately we have a distinction where in the Quran, Jesus claims he is only a prophet. In the Bible, we understand Jesus is the Son of God. Incompatible, they are contradictory to each other. And one more distinction, salvation through works and not grace. This is another verse from the Quran, Surah 35, 7. It says, for those who disbelieve, they shall have a severe punishment. As for those who believe and do good, they shall have forgiveness and a great reward. 
You see, for the Muslim, salvation is based on what they do in this life. Salvation must be earned through the works. This is contradictory to Christianity. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The forgiveness for sins came before we even asked for it. That is the incredible gift of salvation. God didn't wait to see how we performed in this life to judge us. He offers forgiveness before we ask. And again, to make this distinction even clearer, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, in the Bible, it says, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Not by works, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So is Islam and Christianity compatible? No. They are contradictory on many fronts. But can we learn something from the Muslim? I would challenge this. For every Muslim, they have to pray five times a day, and nothing stops them from doing it. You see a picture of here of, of Muslims kneeling in prayer. I think we could learn some devotion from the Muslim. Our devotion to Jesus Christ should be steadfast. We should move things in our schedule to be devoted to Jesus Christ and for prayer. Now, I couldn't... F yeah, you can clap for that. It's all right. Now, I couldn't find a joke that wasn't problematic or possibly insulting, so just insert a funny, non-insulting joke right here. Thank you. Cue laughter. Very good. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about Hinduism. Hinduism, the third largest religion in the world. Again, over a billion people subscribe to it. What does it say? What claims does it make? Hinduism is a fusion of many beliefs. Their scripture or their Bible, you would say, is called the Vedas, they believe in multiple paths to God, who they call Brahman. And one of the key differences here is Hinduism believes in something called reincarnation. You know, in our culture today, this is actually where we get things like the yoga positions and chakras. If you hear these kinds of terminologies, it comes from Hinduism in India. And they're pretty different, honestly. I mean, we could go through many things. But to touch on reincarnation... Reincarnation is the belief that when you die, you are reborn into a new body based on your works. Again, a key distinction. Based on your good works in this life, you can go up and down the caste system or the hierarchy in India based on your karma. That's where that word comes from. So given this idea of reincarnation, is this compatible with Christianity? Well, let me give you a pretty clear verse. Hebrews 9, 27 says this. It is appointed for people to die once and after this be judged. I think that's pretty clear. Die once and be judged. So immediately, there is a contradiction of terms, and they cannot both be true. And Hinduism is based on your works, karma, for a better life in the future. Now, can we learn anything from the Hindu? Here's another picture of a Hindu praying. You might see very ornate, honestly very beautiful garb. You know, I do think we could learn a sense of personal responsibility, God does call us to good works in this life, we as the Christian, and we would do good in listening and obeying to what he says here in this life. So we can take that from the Hindu. Now, I did find a joke. I think it's not too offensive. So I hear reincarnation is making a comeback. <laughs> Moving on. The final comparison. Let's talk about Buddhism for a moment. Buddhism, the religion, actually arose out of Hinduism. 
The man who started it was called Siddhartha Gautama. He was just a man. He never claimed to be God. Buddhism is agnostic toward God, meaning they don't claim that God exists or doesn't. They're agnostic towards it. They also believe in reincarnation. But the key purpose, the central doctrine of Buddhism is to extinguish desire. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But the man, Siddhartha Gautama, he saw all the pain and suffering in India, and he wanted to live a life free of pain and suffering. And he came up with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Paths, which was a method to eliminate pain and suffering from our lives. And the way to do that is to strip ourselves of all desire and attachment, to not desire things in this life. Now, one of the main contradictions between Buddhism and Christianity is the belief in God. A typical Buddhist does not believe that there is some God out there. Even the 14th Dalai Lama, who's alive today, he's the leader of Buddhism in Tibet, he recently wrote this. Around 2,600 years ago, Buddha never mentions God. Thus, both Jainism, another religion, and Buddhism are non-theistic religions, non-theistic, no-God religions. So again, a contradiction here. But back to this idea of desire and attachment. The Buddha taught that the way to dis extinguish desire, which causes suffering, is to liberate oneself from attachment. You know, we actually see this a lot in culture today. There's a whole documentary on minimalism, how to rid ourselves of all the things that attach themselves to us, and even folding your clothes like Marie Kondo. I mean, it's all connected. You can do it. I mean, if you fold your clothes that way, it's okay. Anybody know who Marie Kondo is? You guys not know? Okay, there's five of you out there. I appreciate it. And so we actually see this even entering our culture. There's a lot of celebrities and even movie stars that hold to this kind of spirituality of Buddhism. But here's the issue. Every worldview, every religion needs to be consistent within itself. And so if you are a devout Buddhist on the path to eliminate all desire, all attachment, that you don't have to be attached to anything or anyone, what then do you do with your children? What then do you do with your parents or loved ones? Meaningful relationships. Where does love fit in the picture of Buddhism? You see, even on a natural level, we as humans understand our need for connection, our need for love, both to receive and give love. And this contradicts directly the idea of love in the Bible. What does Jesus Christ say about love? John 15, 12 says this, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Matthew 5, 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And Matthew 19, 19, honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over again, we see Jesus Christ saying, love is the central tenant. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as yourself. Christianity teaches us not to distance ourselves or separate, but actually to come together and become the family of Christ. Pastor Greg taught on that just last week, becoming the family of of Christ. Can we learn anything from the Buddhists? Again, here's another picture you might see a Buddhist monk praying. I think we could learn about peace from a Buddhist. Jesus Christ himself says, I give you peace. And I think we can get caught up so much in worrying and anxiety in this life that maybe we can learn a little more to trust on Jesus, to lean on Jesus for peace. Now, I did find a joke for the Buddhist. A Buddhist teacher or a Buddhist student asked his master, is it okay to use email? Yes, replied the master, but with no attachments. <laughs> they got better. They got better as they went. That's pretty good. So I hope I've made it clear that these religions are different. 
And when you boil it down to the central doctrines of each religion, they are contradictory. They cannot all be true at the same time. So now the rubber meets the road. How do we know which one is true? How do we know which religion is actually true? So again, coming back to Christianity, I've described several in this message of things that make it unique. Salvation is a free gift. Salvation is not based on good works. Jesus gave his life while we were yet sinners. And Jesus declared to be God many times. But something else makes Christianity very unique. Christianity does not ask you to believe the words of one man in one writing. I say it many times, the Bible, our scripture of Christianity, is 66 books with 40 different authors written over a time span of 1,500 years. No other religion has that. That much corroboration over the centuries. But not only that, Christianity makes claims that point to specific events in history. Events that can be studied, researched, and found to be true or false. This is why Christianity subjects itself to so much scrutiny from scholars and atheists alike, because we make claims about things that happened in history, actual events, the life of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, and yes, his resurrection from the grave. And as you read scripture, the Bible is not just a book of rules and laws. It contains names and dates, places and events that could be corroborated with outside evidence. Christianity is a religion based firmly in reality and confirmed by history. Christianity is not a blind faith. Rather, it is a religion that asks you to keep your eyes wide open as you search for God. There is nothing swept under the rug, no wool to pull over your eyes. If you seek for truth in Christianity, you can keep your eyes open the whole way. Christianity says, come and see for yourself. Come and see that the Lord is good. Look for truth, and you will find Jesus Christ. Even the Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. What a bold claim. Even the Apostle Paul says everything hinges on this event, Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. And so let me begin to land the plane by answering these two questions. Some ask, did Jesus Christ even exist? Yes, he did. <laughs> a thousand times yes. Atheists and scholars alike all agree Jesus Christ was truly a man that lived in the first century here on earth. Even Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman, if you aren't familiar, he's a man who is a New Testament scholar. He's a religion professor at the University of North Carolina, and he's an atheist. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you can be an atheist and religious professor in New Testament, but... Even Bart Ehrman wrote a book saying that Jesus Christ truly existed, and if you don't believe that, you're a fool. This is an atheist speaking, saying that Jesus Christ truly existed. You can't deny it. He says in his book, if you're going to make up a Messiah, you would make up someone powerful. You wouldn't make up someone who was humiliated, tortured, and then killed by his enemies. What is he saying? If this was all some conspiracy made up by the disciples, you wouldn't have the hero of the story die on a cross. Again, the way Christianity subverts the expectation. We thought it was going to be a political hero, but he was actually coming to save humanity. Amen. And there's many resources, again, showing that Jesus Christ truly lived. But let me answer the harder question. 
Did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? This is where everything hinges. Did he rise from the dead? If you're truly curious about the historical basis for the resurrection, I want to give you two resources. One, I taught a message here about two years ago in our Back to Life series, laying out a complete defense of the resurrection. There's a link in the message notes for today, wearecrossing.com notes. I encourage you to check it out. And if you want a book, this book by William Lane Craig, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? It's only 80 pages long. It's a quick read, and he goes through all the historical things about the resurrection, why we have good reasons to believe that Jesus Christ was truly rose from the dead. It's an incredible resource. But let me share one scripture and then one piece of information outside of scripture pointing to the resurrection. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it talks about the resurrection, and honestly, most people aren't familiar with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 3. The apostle Paul recounts the resurrection and who Christ appeared to. The apostle Paul says this, I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Now watch this. All the people Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. He appeared to Peter, who was called Cephas, then to the 12, the disciples. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most people don't know that. Jesus Christ appeared to a group of 500 people at one time after he rose from the dead. And I love this next part. Paul says most of them are still alive. It's almost like the apostle Paul is challenging his reader. If you don't believe me, go ask them. There's 500 of them out there. They all saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Ask them. And then he says this, Jesus, he appeared to James. Why is that important? James was the brother of Jesus. Now, how many of you have siblings, brothers or sisters? Now, if your sibling came to you and said, hey, BT dubs, I'm like God, like the Messiah, would you have some trouble believing them? Probably. As did James, Jesus' brother. The scripture actually says in John chapter 7, verse 5, not even his brothers believed in him. Not even Jesus' brothers believed he was the Messiah. But what happens? The apostle Paul tells us that Jesus Christ appeared to James, his own brother, after the resurrection, and then later we find James leading the church in Jerusalem. He must have seen something incredible to make that shift. Think about what it would take for your sibling to convince you they were God. <laughs> Rising from the dead would probably do it. But then, something else incredible. We actually have many, many instances outside the Bible, outside of Scripture, that allude to and talk about Jesus' resurrection. And there's many of them. I won't go through all of them. But the Gospels attest to it. The writings of Flavius Josephus, a historian in the first century, talk about the resurrection. Letters from Roman emperors, Emperor Trajan, and all this. And I want to read one to you. And I know it can be a little dry talking about some old dead guy and his writings, but I think it's important. The man I'm going to tell you about is Cornelius Tacitus. He was a Roman historian. His job was to record history as accurately as possible. But he was also a Roman and a pagan. This man was not a Christian. This man didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. But watch what he writes in the historical 
record of Rome. He says, Nero, the Roman emperor, fastened the guilt of Rome burning on a class hated for their abominations. He's talking about Christians, called Christians by the populace. Christus Christ, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty. Don't miss that. This is a Roman pagan historian confirming the death of Jesus Christ. Suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. We have a confirmation of that in Luke chapter uh, 1, talking about the time. At the hands of one of your procreators, Pontius Pilate. Confirmation of Pontius Pilate again. And a most mischievous superstition. Again, he's being a little cheeky because he's talking about Christianity. Thus checked for the moment, comma, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. I want to break down what this means. He is saying a belief system called Christianity, the people following it called themselves Christians, it was growing, but then it was checked for a moment. It stopped spreading just for a moment. Why? Because their leader had died, Jesus Christ. But the most important thing is that comma right there, because it was checked for a moment, but then again broke out, not only in Judea, Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the world. You see, in that moment, yes, you could clap for that. Once Jesus died on the cross, there were three days where Christianity was on life support. Three days when the disciples hid in their homes, afraid of the Jewish leaders of the day. Three days where it looked like Christianity was about to be wiped out. But in that comma, something so powerful, so astounding, so irrefutable, and so miraculous, something happened that then caused Christianity to explode across Asia Minor. It spread and became the fastest growing religion in history. And even today, as I said before, followed by the most people around the globe. What could have happened to make it seem like Christianity was almost dead and then explode even to what we have today? It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes. Are all religions the same? No. But do we have good reasons to believe which religion is true? I believe so. I believe the historical evidence of Jesus Christ living in the first century on this earth, the evidence of him dying on a cross for our sins, and him raising from the dead, proving that he was God, I believe Christianity to be true. I believe we have good reason to believe it. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray over you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise their hands right now, but if you are skeptical or you are searching for truth, you are saying, is this real? Is this the thing I need to give my life to? I just want to pray over you right now. Heavenly Father, we know you're real, and you're moving even in this place, South Shore, Plant City, and everyone online. God, I pray for those who are earnestly seeking truth. I pray for those who are seeking to know who is God. Is he out there? Who has he revealed himself to be? God, I pray that you speak to the people seeking it. I pray that you put people in their path who can teach them the things of Christianity. And God, I pray that they begin to feel your presence at night in their bed, as they go through their day, that they can't shake the feeling that something is after them, and it's the Holy Spirit. 
after their soul. I pray that they continue to earnestly seek you in Jesus' name. And now if you'd keep your head bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment. Now for those of you who may have been seeking, but you say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. I believe he lived and died and rose again. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to pray a simple prayer. We're going to pray it all together so you're not alone. Everyone say, Dear Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. And I give my life to you. Make me a new creation. And teach me to follow you. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. Don't forget, you can watch all of our messages on demand and watch our services live on our YouTube channel. Subscribe at youtube.com slash crossingchurch. And you can find message notes every week, upcoming events, and more when you download the Crossing Church app. Just search for Crossing Church Tampa in your app store. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to see you at noon prayer every Wednesday at the Tampa campus and for our next weekend services.